All right. Well, good morning, Mission Church. Hey, listen, if you are new here this morning and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Will and I serve as one of the elders and pastors here at the church. And uh, this morning we are jumping into the second week of our multi-month series through the letter of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to please turn to Galatians chapter one. And we are going to be looking at verses six and seven. Galatians one, verses six and seven. And if you are able, I would love for you to please stand for the reading of God's word. You know, funny backstory. Um, uh, this morning was supposed to be from verses six through 10. And then I started studying the passage and quickly discovered that six through seven is an hour in and of itself. And so, guess the series is gonna be even longer than we thought. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So here's what Paul writes in verse six. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace, everyone say in the grace, in the grace. of Christ and are turning to a different gospel not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the sufficiency of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you this morning. And God, I am grateful, even in light of what Pastor Tyler said earlier, Lord, that, that we are positioned in Christ, that for those who have placed their faith in you, um, they are now in Christ. And so positionally, they cannot be snatched out of your hand. There is security in that. There is a stability in that. And so God, as we come before you this morning, I thank you for the fact that your word is living and active. I thank you that the gospel, your work is the very power of God onto salvation. And so I pray, Lord, this morning that as your word is preached and as your work is explained and proclaimed, God, that your power would go out and that you would change the lives of the people in this room and watching online. And I pray in Jesus' name that it would result in your glory and in our good. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being here this morning, and I thank you for the beauty and the sufficiency of your word. I cannot wait to jump into this passage, and I pray that you would help me, Lord, to clearly communicate what the text actually says, because if I can, I know that you will do the rest. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray all these things in the name of your precious son. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Now, usually when the Apostle Paul uh, writes a letter uh, to a church, after the greeting section, which is what we looked at last week, Paul usually takes time uh, to, to thank God for the people that he is writing to. And so essentially right after the intro, he, he gets into a section of either prayer or of praise, thanksgiving, commendation. But what we see here in this letter, starting in verse six, is that Paul makes a very jarring and abrupt transition from the greeting straight into the point of his letter. And the reason why Paul is so abrupt and so jarring with the transition that he makes is because of the urgency of the matter that he was addressing. 
We said last week that the reason why the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this church, and it's not just a church, it's churches in the region of Galatia, the Roman province of Galatia, is because after Paul left Galatia, some false teachers from Jerusalem showed up and they were referred to as the Judaizers because their desire was to Judaize people. Essentially, they were showing up into this Gentile region and they were telling Gentiles that they had to become Jews before they can become Christians. They had, to be, they had to get circumcised and they had to observe all the customary and, and ceremonial laws of, of Moses. And so they were coming in and essentially what they were telling them was that Jesus was not enough. It wasn't just Jesus that could save you. It was Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus the law, Christianity plus uh, Judaism. And so Paul is writing this letter, we said last week, not only to defend his message, but also to defend his ministry. But he's not defending his ministry because he cares what people think. He's defending his ministry because if his ministry is undermined, then so will his message be. And so he's writing with all the urgency that he can muster. Now, like with most churches that Paul plants, he probably would have written a letter to Galatia at some point. But this is not the letter he thought he would have to write. He probably thought and assumed that the letter he wrote would be concerning the advance of the gospel in Galatia, not concerning the apostasy from the gospel in Galatia. And so even as we step into this passage, you can almost feel his urgency, his passion radiating off the page you see his pastoral heart being revealed as he defends the gospel and he defends the people of God in Galatia. So in my mind's eye, I can almost imagine Paul, wherever he is at this point, getting a report of what's happening in Galatia and immediately dropping everything he's doing and going immediately to his desk. And he just starts, pulls out a piece of parchment and immediately starts to write the words that we have here in front of us. So with all that in mind, look what Paul writes in verse six. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So Paul here in verse six, he begins with the first of three terms or three words in this letter that reveal his emotional state. He says here in verse six of chapter one that he is astonished. In chapter four, verse 11, he says that he's afraid. In chapter four, verse 20, he says that he's perplexed. So, so with all these emotions that Paul is using, all these words that Paul is using to describe his emotional state, you, you can see just how urgent this matter is to Paul. Now, the word here, astonished, what does it actually mean? Well, it can be either positive or negative, depending on the context in which it is used. But it literally means to marvel at something to be amazed at something, to be shocked or surprised by something. In other words, the Apostle Paul, he, he's stepping into this and he is literally completely caught off guard by what is happening in Galatia. He is astounded, he is shocked by the revelation that he has just received, the news that he has just received from Galatia. But, but what has Paul so 
surprised. What has Paul so astounded? Well, he tells us what, what it is that they have done. He writes, because you have so quickly deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ. The word there quickly in Greek means something that's done swiftly or hurriedly. It refers to a short period of time. Now, let me give you some context. We, we don't know exactly how much time has elapsed, but, but let me give you some context on what we do know. We said last week that Paul planted these churches in, in, in Galatia in Acts 13 and Acts 14. But we also said that this letter was most likely written before Acts 15. Okay, so, so because we said in Acts 15 is where the Jerusalem council happens. In the Jerusalem council is when Paul goes to Jerusalem and he meets with all the other apostles and they talk about how will we communicate the gospel to the Gentiles. There are many Gentiles coming to know the Lord. So how are we going to preach the gospel to these Gentiles? Are we going to require them to become Jews before they become Christians? Are we going to require them to be circumcised? Are we going to require them to be under the law of Moses? And Peter, eventually, he stands up and he says, look, how are we going to ask them to do something that we ourselves couldn't do? He says, let's not make them do that because that's the reason why we became Christians in the first place, because we couldn't obey the law of Moses in our own strength. That's what's decided in Acts 15. So, so you, you put that in a timeline. These churches are planted in Acts 13 and 14. And scholars say that this happened before Acts 15. So, before, so sometime in between Acts 13 and 14 and Acts 15, these people had already deserted the gospel. So that can be a few months. It can be as much as a couple years have gone by. But regardless of how long the time frame has been, Paul uses the word quickly. In his mind, it happened quickly. It happened swiftly. And this is a side note, but I think it's an important one. What we see here is we see the importance of discipleship. And one of the things that we talk about here all the time, and the reason why we talk about it is because Jesus talks about it all the time, is we talk about the importance of discipleship. Like our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God by making gospel-centered disciples. One of our values is that we are on mission. And for me, the reason why I believe that discipleship is so important, one of the reasons is that new believers, these are brand new believers. And one of the things that happens with a brand new believer is that they are very easily manipulated. They don't fully know what's true and what's false. And so part of our job as a church is to come alongside new believers. It's, this is true of even our, the children in our home, the, the grandchildren in our family. And we are to intentionally disciple them. Bible studies are great. Small groups are great. Church is great, but it never replaces discipleship. That, that, that these believers, I'm not saying that it was a lack of discipleship that did it, but new believers have to be watched over. They have to be trained up. They have to be equipped. They have to be protected. That's what Paul tells Timothy again and again and again, to, to shepherd and protect the flock. And I believe that this reveals this to us, the importance of discipleship. So Paul here uses a very strong word in Greek to explain what they have done by turning to a different gospel. He says that they have deserted Jesus Christ himself. Everyone say deserted. 
The word desert here in Greek was a military term and was used, get this, to describe a traitor or a turncoat in a warfare situation. The word means to abandon your association with someone. It means to betray your loyalty to someone. It means to change or alter a treaty, or it means to transfer one's allegiance. That is very strong language that Paul is using. That, that by believing a different gospel, they are deserting, they are uh, uh, betraying Jesus Christ himself. And the word uh, uh, deserting here is written in the present tense and in the middle voice. L let's unpack that. The, the present tense in Greek is something that is currently happening that has not yet been completed. In other words, Paul's saying you are in the process of deserting, but there is still time to repent. There, there is still time to stop what you are doing. That's what the present tense means. But the middle voice is even more revealing because what the middle voice reveals is it, middle, it implies that they are doing the action to themselves. That's what the middle voice in Greek is. It's an action that you are doing to yourself. And the reason why I think that's so important for us, and we talked about this during the false teaching sermon when we were in the Sermon on the Mount, is that oftentimes when people sit under false teachings, our temptation is to feel bad for those people, to treat them like they're victims. Like, oh, look at that. Look, look, look at those poor people having to sit under that false teaching. But what Paul says in the New Testament is that those people seek out those teachers because they want their ears to be tickled. They want someone that preaches to their sin and to their idols. And what's interesting is that Paul here, he could have easily been on the defense of the Galatians and been like, oh, poor Galatians. I'm so sad that you are, they're doing this to you. No, no, no. He says, you are deserting Jesus yourself. You are doing the action to yourself. They might be distorting the gospel, but you are the one deserting the gospel. That we are responsible for how we respond to the truths that we hear. But then, and I don't want you to miss this, Paul says that when we believe a different gospel, we aren't just deserting or betraying a proposition, but a person. And the person that you are abandoning is Jesus Christ himself. If you turn to another gospel, if you believe another gospel, if you rely on another gospel, it's not just a doctrinal issue, it's a relational issue. You're not just for forgetting the grace of God, you are forsaking the God of grace. And honestly, for me, that this context, this passage makes me all the more passionate about calling out false teaching, about calling out false gospels. Because, man, I remember when we did that message that I referred to earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, there were certain people that came up to me and was like, hey, we just got to be careful with who we call a false teacher. We just got to, you know, those are brothers and sisters in Christ and we just got to, we just got to be careful. No, no, no. The reason why we cannot be careful is because people's lives are at stake. We can't be careful. We have to call it out. We have to confront it. Paul is not holding back at all. He's not like, oh, you know, I'm worried about the Judaizers' feelings here. I don't want to offend them. No, no, no. You call it out 
Because it's not just their theology that's on the line, it's their intimacy that's on the line. That's what Paul is teaching here. We all collectively need to take false teaching way more seriously. All of us. And I would argue that Paul says something very similar. And this passage is so good. We're actually coming back to it uh, next week again. But Paul actually says something similar to this idea of a different gospel is actually betraying a, a, a person, which is Jesus. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. In 2 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul, he, he's dealing with something similar. The false teachers have showed up in Corinth. And so he's talking to Corinth uh, about their same thing, that they are falling into this false gospel. And, and I love how he starts in verse one of 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. He's like, hey, I'm about to say something really stupid. So just bear with me for a little bit, okay? He says, and you'll find out what the thing that's stupid here in a second. He says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. He says, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as, pure, as a pure version to Christ. Then he says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So don't miss that. He's saying that when you walk away from the gospel, you are walking away from a pure and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ himself. And then he says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. That's the foolishness. That's the stupidity he's talking about. That anybody shows up and preaches a different gospel, a different Jesus, a different spirit, and you're just all in. And then in verse 13, he says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's the part we're going to come back to next week. Next week, we're going to talk about how Satan is the one who is ultimately behind any perversion or distortion of the gospel. Verse 15, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. The part that I want you to see here, though, is that Paul is making the same point here that he makes in Galatians 1. And what he is saying is that when we believe a false gospel, we are walking away from and deserting and betraying Jesus Christ himself. That's what he teaches in both. That when we uh, uh, walk away from the wisdom of God, which is manifested in the gospel, we are turning back to the foolishness of man. And we are going back to what Paul says are the elementary principles of this world. You would think that religion is the more, more sophisticated thing. Paul says that when you leave redemption and go back to religion, you're going back to foolishness. You're going back to the elemental things, the basic things. And then the other thing that I love about this uh, text, this is probably the word where I, when I, when, I, when I understood what this word meant, this is probably when I said, yeah, it's only gonna be two verses today. Because he says, we are told that Jesus called us. It says the one who called you. Now that word can easily be overlooked, but it's such a beautiful word that does an incredible job of describing to us uh, the beauty and the sufficiency of the gospel. 
The word called here in the Greek is in the aorist tense. So the aorist tense implies a decisive historic moment in time, an event that has happened and will never happen again. That's what aorist tense means in, in the Greek. So the word there called is in the aorist tense, and it means to summon someone or to tell a person to come to you. But because it's written in the aorist tense, the way it reads in the Greek, it literally reads deserting from the one who called you once and for all. That's how it reads in the Greek. You are abandoning and betraying and deserting the one who called you and saved you once and for all. So this term called single-handedly differentiates Christianity from every other religion and worldview. How? Because think about it. In every other religion and worldview, you put the behavior, the conduct before the calling. If I can uh, perform the religious conduct, then maybe one day God will call me. The gospel says, no, 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 you did nothing to earn it. God called you. Now go live in light of that with your conduct. So, so, so that's where you see the distinction. And, and when I think of calling someone, I think of it through a human perspective. So for example, this happens almost every night at our house. Uh, Lily, she finishes dinner and she goes, guys, dinner. She calls us for dinner, right? And nobody hears her. And about three minutes go by, she's like, guys, dinner. And again, nobody hears her. We hear her, we just don't do anything about it. By the third time, she's essentially cussing us out, right? So, so we got to go because uh, it, it, it's going to get ugly. And so, but here's the thing about when we call somebody. When we call somebody, the people that we are calling have an option of showing up or not showing up, listening or not listening, obeying or not obeying. But God's call is completely different from our calls. God, when, when he calls, when we think of God's word, we think of his actual words, like on a page, and that's fine. But what you see in scripture is that God's word is as good as God's action. When God says something, that thing happens. We are told in Hebrews 4 that God's word is living and active. We are told in, in Romans 1 that, that the, the, the gospel is the very power of God unto salvation. And so both his word and his work are powerful and effective. So when God talks, we listen. That, that's the implication. So when God shows up into your life, he doesn't ask you. He doesn't beg you. He doesn't persuade you. He shows up and he calls you. And the only thing you can do is respond. Just to show you how powerful the word of God is, in Genesis chapter one, when God says, let there be light, he doesn't go and then set up the stars and the sun. No, no, he says, let there be light and there's light. When, when the disciples are on the boat and, and they're freaking out and Jesus walks up onto the boat and he tells the storm to be still, it stops. When Jesus shows up at Lazarus' funeral and he says, Lazarus, come out. He doesn't go in there and resuscitate Lazarus. No, no. He says, come out. And he comes out. That's it. That is who our God is. When he calls, we respond. 
And the apostle Paul, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. He is a perfect picture of this gospel reality. He, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He hated Jesus. He was on the road to Damascus trying to kill followers of Jesus. If Paul could have, he probably would have killed Jesus. And then one day, Jesus just decided, you're mine now. And Paul couldn't do anything about it. That's what we talked about last week, that Paul says, I didn't uh, 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 conjure this. I didn't manufacture this. I didn't manipulate this. I was going this way. God called me, and I started going that way. Church, if you are sitting here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus, not because you called him, found him, texted in him, uh, DM'd him, FaceTimed him. No, no, no. It's because he called you. He planned it, he willed it, he finished it, he called it, he applied it, and he secures it. Whenever I'm deciding uh, between two theological positions, I, I tend to go with the one that gives God more glory. That's what I do. Because there's some people who passionately defend certain things. Like, oh, no, I chose God, he didn't choose me. No, no, I'm going to go with the one that gives God most glory. You know the one that gives God the most glory? The one that says he did all of it. That's the one that gives him the most glory. I remember when I got here uh, a, a few years ago, we, we had the whole hand-raising thing, right? The, old, whole, oh, the whole altar call thing. We, we, you get to the end, and, and who here wants to believe in Jesus? Throw your hands up. One, two, three, four, five. Here's why we don't do it and we'll never do it again. One, because that's not in the Bible. It was made up by Charles Finney who, depending on how you look at him, was most likely a heretic because he believed that Christians could be perfect, believed that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't for our sins. It was just to uh, 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 obey the law of Moses. There was a lot of heresy in that man's teaching. He came up with the whole raising hand thing so that he can feel better about his ministry, I guess. But, but, but what you see in Scripture and I had to wrestle with this. My temptation was to do the same thing because everybody was doing it and that's what we do here. No, no. The reason why we don't do that is because all I have to do, I'm not here to count who's in, who's out. My only job is to proclaim the word of God, to proclaim the work of God, and God will take care of the rest. God will know. God will know. I don't have to know. God will know. He can do it and he has done it. And he will do it. Then Paul says something that just, again, continues to further show and display the beauty of the gospel. He says, he who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ. Everyone say, in the grace. That phrase, in the grace, in the Greek language, is a locative sphere. So here's what that means. Paul says that in the gospel, we are called out of the sphere of being under the law to the sphere of being in grace. That, that, that when we uh, become believers, our address changes. We go from the sphere of under the law to the sphere of grace. We go from the sphere of the present evil age, being in Adam, what we talked about last week, to the sphere of the new age to come in Christ. We are literally positionally moved, like Pastor Tyler said this morning in Ephesians. So later on uh, in this series, Lord willing, we're going to see in Galatians 5 
In Galatians 5, verse 4, Paul says, he talks about falling out of the grace. And people, depending on their theology, what they think that means is that they're falling away from salvation. But that's not what he's saying there. Because of what this, the way it's written in the Greek, to fall out of grace means you are, you are stepping out of the sphere of grace, going back to the sphere of law. You are, you are moving away from Mount Zion and going back to Mount Sinai. You are forgetting the grace of God and you are going back to the law of God. That, that's what it means when he says falling from grace. It's you're leaving the sphere and you're not living in light of the grace that has been given to you and purchased for you in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying when you do that, you are not living in light of the freedom that has been given to you. He says in Galatians 5.1 that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. I can't wait to preach that passage. But what he is saying is he says it twice. It is for freedom that he has set you free. And when we leave the sphere of grace and go back to the sphere of law, we are stepping back into the bondage that he saved us out of. And we talked about this when we were in Hebrews 12, that as believers, we have positionally be, been placed in front of Mount Zion, the, the mountain of grace. But our temptation on a daily basis is to wander right back to Sinai and try to earn something that's already been given to us. And our God, he loves us so much that if you stay at Sinai long enough, he will bring shaking into your life in order to expose the shakable things that you're relying on, leaning on, trusting in to bring you back to Mount Zion. But then Paul says things go from bad to worse because not only do they turn away from the true gospel, but instead they have turned to a false gospel, which Paul says is really no gospel at all. In other words, Paul says there's only one gospel and every other gospel is non-existent. It's a false gospel. And, and the reason why that's so significant to me, this hit me so much that I taught it both to our staff this week and to our elders in our elder meeting this week, that, that when we think about the fact that there's only one gospel, and that is the gospel that we have been given and entrusted with, I think we minimize that too much. When I was in college, Lily and I had the opportunity to go to Israel. And when we were in Israel, one of the things that was really discouraging to me, kind of, yeah, yeah, I think that's the word. Discouraging is probably the, the one that I would use, is that almost everywhere you go in Israel, they are exploiting biblical history. So, so you go to this town and they're like, oh, this is the town where, where, where Paul preached. This is the, right here, this, this spot right here. Let's build a church right on it. Over there, that's when Jesus was, was, was born. We think that's where Jesus was born. So we're going to build a, uh, this, this gaudy gold, it looks like Mr. T decorated it, church. <laughs> and over here, those are the steps that Jesus walked on. And over there, that's the toilet that Paul pooped in. And over there, that's the... <laughs> And it's like, oh, the whole thing, the whole thing is being exploded. It's like the whole, all of biblical history is being exploited at every corner. And we make such a big deal about the stairs Jesus walked on. Church, we have the gospel that Jesus preached. Th think about that. When you look at Ephesians chapter one, and we are told that before the foundations of the earth, God had already planned salvation. He had already planned redemption. In other words, the gospel that we are preaching today was there at the beginning. It was already a part of his plan. It was already the grand story of humanity. 
And then that same gospel is the gospel that is preached to Adam. Because in Genesis 3.15, he says, from the, the woman will come a seed that will crush the head of the serpent. It's the same gospel that's preached to Noah. It's the same gospel that's preached to Abraham. It's the same gospel that's preached to Moses. It's the same gospel that's preached to David. It's the same gospel that's preached to the prophets. The same gospel that Jesus hands over, he entrusts to the apostles and they entrust to the disciples. The same gospel, church, is the gospel that we get to preach. It's the gospel that we get to believe in. That's way more impressive to me than some stairs over in Jerusalem. The most important thing in your life is not your family, is not your health, is not your church, is not your money. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if Paul argues that there's only one gospel, and that gospel is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, then what are some examples of false gospels that are currently being preached today? You see, because I don't know about you, but personally, I don't feel like I'm being tempted by the Judaizers gospel. I don't see that gospel get, gaining much traction today. But just because this false gospel isn't being preached doesn't mean that there aren't false, false gospels being preached in our day. So what are some of those false gospels? Well, there are so many that we can choose from and talk about. But most of the time, if you're taking notes, these false gospels are broken up into two categories. One type or category of false gospels are the ones that undermine and minimize the person of Jesus, his person. While another type or category of false gospels are the ones who undermine the power of Jesus. So those who attack his person tend to argue that he wasn't God. And those who attack his power tend to argue that he cannot save. So let's look at both. We're going to look at, we're going to get real specific here. First, let's look at the people who undermine his person. In this category, you have the secular, postmodern, uh, third culture that we live in. So that includes atheists, agnostics, the nuns, people who are spiritual but not religious, these groups, the reason why they are in this first category of people who undermine the person of Jesus is because they assume that Jesus was a good moral teacher at best and that he didn't exist at worst. Okay? Now, under this same category, people who undermine his person, it includes most world religions. So Muslims assume that he was just a prophet, but not God. Hindus and Jews also see him as a good moral teacher at best, but again, not God. Mormons believe that Joseph Smith received a better book, a better revelation. And in that revelation, he teaches that Jesus was merely a man who actually became God through good works. So we can all become good gods through good works. They also believe the false heresy that, that there's not a trinity, a one God in three persons, but there are three separate gods. Jehovah Witnesses deny the deity of Christ. They deny the Trinity. They deny his physical resurrection, right? So, so those are all the examples of false gospels that undermine his person. The next category are the group of people or, 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 or teachers 
uh, 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 people who, who undermine not his person, but his saving power. And in my opinion, these groups are much more dangerous because these groups seem to accept the basic tenets of Christianity on the surface. But when you double click on what they actually believe, they are either adding to or removing from the gospel. And by doing so, they are preaching no gospel at all. So let's go through some of these. One example of people or a group of people who undermine not his person but his power is the Catholic gospel. The Catholic gospel, now I grew up in Catholicism, so I did my, I got baptized in the Catholic church, I did my first communion, I almost did my confirmation in eighth grade. But the Catholic gospel claims to believe in salvation in Christ alone. Like that's what they will say, it's salvation in Christ alone, right? But then when you actually look at what their traditions teach, and you actually look at what's taught from their stage, they believed, they believe that in order to be saved, yeah, Christ alone, amen. But in order to be really saved, you also need to do several things as well. You need to be baptized in the Catholic Church. You need to attend Mass regularly. You need to partake in the Eucharist. We said last week that the, the reason why Mass is so important is because in their mind, it isn't finished. Jesus dies every time communion happens. So Jesus is dying all over again for your sin. In addition to baptism, attending mass, partaking in Eucharist, you have to confess your sins to a priest, not to God. You have to perform penance. And then when you die, you have to have your last rites read to you by a priest. And even if you do all that, we don't know if you're going to make it. But just in case you don't make it, you get sent to a place called purgatory, which isn't in the Bible and isn't real. And you go to purgatory for a while and you work things off. And then after you work things off, you get to heaven anyways. There was literally, there's this, there's this theology taught by the Catholic Church called natural theology that was said by some pope at some point that, that, that literally everyone's eventually going to make it to heaven because everyone essentially gets to purgatory and anyone can get out of purgatory just by doing good things. Here's the thing. Let me, let me read to you this and then I'll, I'll, I'll say what I want to say. In the 1500s, one of the things that we talk about as Protestants is we talk about the Protestant Reformation and all the stuff that Luther did and Calvin did and Swingley did, right? But did you know that in the 1500s, in response to the Reformation, Catholic leaders from all over the world got together to respond to the heresies that were being brought by the Reformation, the, the Reformers. So they saw what the Reformers were saying as heresy. So they came together in the Council of Trent, and in Canon 12 of the document that they wrote, here is what the Catholic Church said in response to the Protestant Reformation. And I quote, if anyone shall say that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in the divine mercy pardoning sins for Christ's sake, or that it is confidence alone by which we are justified, let him be accursed. So don't miss this. In the passage that we are looking at next week, we're going to see, Paul's going to say that anyone who preaches a different gospel is a curse. Let him be accursed. The Catholic Church uses the same language to describe people who believe that it is by grace alone through faith alone. That if you believe that it's only by, uh, by grace through faith, you will be a curse. That is from the horse's mouth. Church, I, if you have a Catholic background here or a Catholic family, so do I. 
I have many family members who are still in the Catholic faith. Well, not really. They're nominal, but they claim to be Catholic. And for me, the reason why I take this so seriously is because one of my cousins passed away a few years ago. And when she got, she got liver cancer, she died at the age of 30. And I went to her house immediately and shared the gospel with her. And she came to know the Lord. I was with her. We prayed. She received the Lord. There's no doubt in my mind that she received Jesus as her Lord and Savior. When she ended up dying, there was two services done, one by me and one by the priest that her, of the Catholic church her parents went through. And I got up and I said, there is no doubt in my mind that she is with Jesus right now. Not because of anything she's done, but because of everything he's done. From there, we leave the funeral home and go to the Catholic church. This priest get up, got up that really never even met her and says, oh, well, you know, we just... We hope that she checked off the things that needed to be checked off and we hope that she went to mass and, and we hope that she confessed her sin and, 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 and if she's in purgatory right now, let's pray for her right now. Let's lift her up right now so that she can be brought into heaven. That was what was preached at my cousin's wedding, I mean, a funeral. She, that's what was said about her life, that maybe she'll make it. Hopefully she did enough. Not it is finished, Jesus did enough. No, 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 hopefully she did enough. Church, that is a false gospel. I had someone come up to me uh, after the service last week. She grew up in the Catholic faith like I did. She got saved a few years ago. And she said, I have learned more about Catholicism in this church than I did in the Catholic church. My mentor in college probably put it best. I asked him one day, I'm like, so if the Catholic gospel is so distorted, are there any Catholics that are Christians? And he said, yes, I believe there are. And he said, but people who are in Catholicism who are Christians, they are Catholics in spite of their theology, not because of their theology. They're Christians, sorry. He's like, they're Christians in spite of their Catholic theology, not because of their Catholic theology. So that's one example. Another example is of groups that undermine the saving power of Christ, and these hit even closer to home. In our, in our, in our city, in our region, this, this, this uh, uh, second culture Christendom that we live in, there's a church on every corner. And so this is what some groups teach. Some groups teach that in order to be saved, you need Jesus plus baptism. So Jesus isn't enough. If, if you don't get baptized, you're not really saved. I don't know what they do with the thief on the cross, so I'm pretty sure he didn't get off the, there to get into water, but that's a whole nother uh, conversation. There's other people who teach, you have to get baptized in my church. If you don't get baptized in this church, it doesn't count. Other te others teach that it's Jesus plus speaking in tongues. That if you don't speak in tongues, you're not really a Christian. You're not really saved. Another one, and this one's gonna hurt. Jesus plus a particular political party. Right? You, whether, whether it's left or right, conservative or liberal, depending on the background of the church, but you come in, you go to the church and you're like, hey, 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 yeah, yeah, you're a Christian, awesome. But who do you vote for? Because you know, they, 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 this is the statement, you can't be a Christian and vote blank. That statement is a false gospel. That's a false gospel. And that is so prevalent. And it's only gotten worse since 2020. 
And then within those groups of people who undermine his saving power are the groups that teach that his death wasn't even really needed. Right? These are the groups that minimize the bad news, our sin. And so by doing that, they minimize the good news, which is his salvation. So one example of this is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel essentially says, yeah, Jesus came to save you from the afterlife, but that's not really what it's about. He actually came to bless you in this life with health and with wealth. The implication being that if you don't get healthy or wealthy, did you really have faith to begin with? Did you believe enough? Another one that's very prevalent, it was big in the, the 60s and 70s and it's come back, is the social gospel. The social gospel says, yeah, Jesus didn't, he, he, yeah, he came to die for this, this, our sins and the spiritual stuff, but what he really came to do is he came to empower us as the church to address our cultural and social situations. He came so that we might feed the hungry and help the poor and fight for the oppressed. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But they say that is the gospel, that the gospel has way more social implications than it does spiritual ones. Another very common uh, 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 example of a, of a false gospel, and I've heard this one a lot throughout my ministry, but I've heard it here in this area as well, is when someone gives their testimony, we talked about this during teaching team, someone gives their testimony and all they talk about is God's common grace, not God's saving grace. And so they'll say, you know, Am I a Christian? Yeah, you know, I'm a Christian and I, uh, you know, God's been good. He's been faithful. He's provided for us. And so I grew up in it and, you know, and he's just a good guy. Who, who where else am I going to go? Right? He's just been so kind to us. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I try my best and I read my Bible and I pray a little bit. But, man, you know, it's just, uh, who, it's, it's, it's Christianity. How can it be anything else? See, but what that person is describing, though, is not saving grace. They're just describing common grace. Common grace is God is good. He, he, he hasn't hurt me, right? I, 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 I'm, I'm breathing. My family's safe. I grew up in it. But, there, but there's no saving grace. There's no, I'm a sinner, and all I deserved was death. I deserve nothing but wrath. And Jesus took the wrath in my place. There's none of that. It's just, yeah, well, you know, God is good. I'm not that bad. So we started a relationship a long time ago. He's my buddy. I'm his buddy. I pray sometimes. I go to church sometimes. That's a false gospel. That's common grace, not saving grace. Another one, this is the final one I look at, is this, this one's growing uh, in popularity, unfortunately is the progressive therapeutic gospel. The progressive therapeutic gospel, it preaches the fruits of the gospel, unity, love, service, without the root of the gospel. Salvation by, faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So they, they love the lifestyle of Christianity, but they don't want the Lord of Christianity. They want the kingdom without the king. And in this false gospel, they use the language that is in the Bible. So they use words like uh, uh, forgiveness and mercy and grace, but their definitions of it are not biblical. One of the books that I would recommend and one of the websites I would recommend, there's this website called carm.org, C-A-R-M.org. 
Christian Apologetics Research Ministries. It will show you all the false gospels, all the false religions. It'll walk, I, I, it's a great website, go there. But for if you're a parent here, the book I would recommend to you is a book called Mama Bear Apologetics. And in that book, they go through chapter by chapter talking about all the false gospels that are being preached to our children. And one of them is this progressive therapeutic gospel. That, they, they, that we, 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 we accept it because we think, oh, they're using words, the ones we use. Uh, uh, sin, not sin, well, they don't use sin, but, 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 uh, but they use grace and, and forgiveness and mercy and love and unity. But their definitions of those are not biblical definitions. Essentially, what they say is that we aren't that bad. And so the gospel isn't that good. And in this progressive therapeutic gospel, Jesus is an inspiring example who advises us not a substitutionary sacrifice who atones for us. Church, a little leaven ruins the batch. A little poison ruins the water. Just a little bit. And we have to be careful because these false gospels are polluting the streams of living water. I share these things with you, not to be divisive, but I believe that the job of every shepherd is not just to exalt the truth, but to expose the lie. And sometimes the best way to explain and define the genuine gospel is by exposing and uncovering the false ones. This is what Paul says in Acts 20. He's about to leave the, the Ephesian elders. And look what he says right before he leaves. He knows that he's going to die soon. So they hug and they embrace because they know they're never going to see each other again. And as he leaves Ephesus, he says this to the elders. He says, I know, not I don't, he doesn't, I think, no, no. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among us, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So, so Paul says, beware because false teachers are coming. False gospels will be preached, not just from the outside, he says, but from within the church. And he says that the remedy to that is the grace of God, because he says, I commend to you the word of his grace which is able to build you up, which is able to save you, but also sanctify you. Paul says the way you protect yourself from it is not just by being alert, but by preaching the gospel. Then he ends in verse seven by telling us why he takes exposing false gospels so seriously. He says that it's because of two reasons. Not only are these false gospels distortions of the real gospel, but they end up troubling those who believe them. Look what he says at the end of verse seven. He says, not that there is another one, another gospel, but there are some who trouble you, everyone say trouble, and want to distort, everyone say distort, the gospel of Christ. So, so Paul argues that false gospels, whether we add to the gospel or remove from the gospel, False gospels are distortions of the gospel. And the Greek word there for distortion, it literally means to change the state of something from its original purpose and intent. 
It means to change the order of something. It means to reverse something. So Paul says that whenever we supplement or subtract from the gospel, we no longer have the gospel. Paul argues that a revision of the gospel is actually a reversal of the gospel. He says, when you do this, you end up completely changing both its essence and its purpose. And the definition that stood out to me the the most to this word distort is the one where it means to change the order of something. That one really jumped out at me when I saw it. Here's why. Because that is actually at its core, the difference between religion and redemption. That, that religion, we talked about this a little bit already. Religion says, if you produce enough fruit, then eventually God will grant you faith. The gospel says, God grants you faith, now go produce fruit. Religion says, if you obey, then maybe one day God will love you. The gospel says, God loves you, so go obey. Religion says, participate in the process of sanctification, which is becoming like Christ, and then maybe one day you'll experience salvation, which is believing in Christ. That's what religion says. The gospel says, you have been saved, salvation, and in light of that, be sanctified. You see the order there? That any distortion is a reversal, and any revision is a reversal of the gospel. Then Paul finally explains why it's so dangerous to preach a distorted gospel. He argues that a distorted head produces a troubled heart. And we know that because he says there are, there are those who want to trouble you. Here's what's interesting about that Greek word, a trouble. It's the same word that's used to describe the emotions that the disciples are experiencing when they're on the boat in the middle of the storm. It says that they were troubled. Okay. It's the same word that's used to describe what King Herod felt when he found out there was a a king of the Jews being born in Bethlehem. It says that his heart was troubled. It's the same Greek word that's used in John chapter 14 when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And what it means is, the word trouble there means to experience acute emotional distress, to experience inward commotion to experience internal restlessness, which results in fear, doubt, anxiety, and insecurity. So, so don't miss what Paul's saying here. And I think this is a part of false gospels and false teaching that we don't talk about enough. He says that a tampered with gospel leads to a troubled heart. If you believe a tampered gospel, you will have a troubled heart. That's what Paul is saying here in this text. But if you believe that the gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then all of a sudden you can have all the security and all the stability and all the assurance that comes from a done gospel and not a do or don't gospel. But if my salvation, justification, and sanctification are up to me in any way, to whatever degree they are up to me, to that same degree I will experience doubt, fear, insecurity, and a lack of assurance. Listen, if your version of the gospel relies on you to any degree, even 1%, then you automatically lose any shred of security or assurance. Because if you can get yourself saved, then you have to keep yourself saved. 
But church, I gotta say that I personally fall into this trap on a daily basis. I, even when I was exposing all those other false gospels, I, in my mind, am no better than those individuals because I know that my head is quick to forget and I know that my heart is prone to wander. I regularly, and by regularly, I mean daily, am tempted to fall out of the sphere of grace, Mount Zion, and fall back into the sphere of law, of law Mount Sinai. Daily. I regularly forget that grace is a gift that is received through faith, not a status that is achieved through the flesh. Church, when Jesus said on the cross that it is finished, he meant it. But, but I got to say that in my flesh, I regularly say but was it finished, finished? Like, like, are you sure it's done? Like, are you sure you completed it? There's nothing I could do to help? Like, are you sure? Like, there's no phrase, there are, there are no three words that I am tempted to forget more than it is finished. We, we talked about this during the idolatry series, that we are to find our significance in Christ. We are to find our security in Christ. We are to find our satisfaction in Christ. But so often I try to find my significance in smaller things than Christ. And I try to find my significance in what my wife thinks and what my kids think and what you guys think and what my staff thinks and what my elders think. So often I try to find my security in my job and in my money and in my health and in my age. So often I try to find my, 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 my satisfaction in things that are infinitely smaller than Jesus in this world that cannot please my soul. I settle all the time for lesser things. But Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Security is found in him because he's the way. Significance is found in him because he's the truth. And satisfaction is found in him because he's the life. The Bible says that we aren't just saved by grace, we are called to live by grace. We all agree with the saved by grace part, but none of us really live by grace the way we should. I regularly forget and go back. But when we go back to a distorted gospel, we end up getting a troubled heart and the anxiety comes up and the insecurity comes up, and the instability comes up. Last week we said that grace and peace come from God. But remember what we said, grace always comes first. Grace is always upstream from peace. I, I regularly want the peace of God without reminding myself of the grace of God. But when I remind myself of the grace of God, then I automatically feel the peace of God. Come on, church. So the question I want you to wrestle with is this. Where in your life, in this season, are you not experiencing the peace of God? Where are you experiencing the insecurity and the instability and the lack of assurance? Whatever area that is, and you know and God knows, that is the area you have to apply the gospel to. That is the area you have to remember the gospel in. As we conclude this morning, I want to read to you Dr. Kenneth West. He uh, is a Greek scholar, and he, in his a word study commentary. He essentially writes this passage we just looked at in the original language. So it's literally like how it's written in Greek. And I just feel like it's a beautiful way to summarize this text. Look what he says. 
This is what Paul says in the Greek. I am marveling that in such a manner suddenly you are becoming of another mind and are deserting from him who called you in the sphere of Christ's grace to a message of good news diametrically opposed to the gospel, which message is not another gospel of the same kind. Only there are certain ones who are troubling your minds and are desiring to pervert the gospel of Christ. So to summarize, in Galatians 1, 6 through 7, Paul is arguing that any revision of the gospel is a complete reversal of said gospel. And that when we revise the gospel by either adding to it or subtracting from it, not only are we believing a false gospel, but we are betraying and abandoning and deserting the person of Jesus Christ. And it is only in the undistorted, unpolluted gospel of Jesus Christ in the sphere of grace that we can actually experience unconfused heads and untroubled hearts. Why? Because it is only in the grace of God that we can experience the peace of God, which not only surpasses all understanding, but guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. What a, what a great lesson. Yes. Uh, in some ways, what a hard lesson for us oh, to, uh, to, to accept, but thank, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Mission Church uh, Online or Church at Home. We are so grateful uh, that you are joining us from wherever you are. Um, I'm Stephen Lyles, uh, and this is Trey Stafford. Hey there. <laughs> and uh, we're big buddies, um, and uh, thanks, thanks God for that, because uh, it's, it's amazing to have that, that community. So thank you uh, for being with us. Uh, Melissa is moderating, so give a shout out to Melissa. Woo! Let her know where you are watching from, uh, you know, where you're at, and so she can kind of talk to you a little bit, tell her what's going on over where you are. Uh, but we're just thankful. There's also a QR code that is above. It's always around here. Yeah, it's over there on his right shoulder somewhere, I think. Um, and so click on that if you have a response or you have a question or you just want to, you know, check in on some things. The, there's all kinds of information in that QR code. So please uh, click on that and that'll take you to those forms and to that information. Um, we're so grateful you're with us and what a great day uh, for us. And, we'll, and we pray that, um, that you've been blessed by... Uh, the Word of God, um, and by Pastor Will's uh, talk. Um, so we're just going to jump right into some questions, and, uh, and Trey's going to read for us Galatians 1, 6 through 7. All right, let's get back into it, folks. So Galatians 1, 6 and 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Hmm. So, you know, talking through this uh, in preparation for this Sunday, meeting with some of my guys, we kind of got a laugh out of Paul saying, not that there is another one. <laughs> and I kind of imagining him smirking a little bit as he read yeah. that. Yeah, right. And uh, so true. But after this sermon and going through and, and studying this with Will, what are... What is something for you that you learned in the message today, uh, Stephen, that was just new or provided comfort or maybe yeah. even a little bit of 
conviction there as well. Yeah, I, you know, there were several things that, that I wrote down, but for me, it was this reminder, uh, and I don't know that we've talked about this, but it's this reminder that there is nothing more important in your life. Uh, this may sting a little bit, stung me a little bit. There's nothing more important in your life than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not your family, Amen. not your position, not your title, not your money, nothing is as important as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I, that immediately followed up the concept of the only gospel yeah. and the same gospel. And just a yeah. reminder that this is the same gospel that Noah had, yeah. that Abraham had, right. that David had, the prophets. Then Jesus came to life and told on earth, and right. the apostles had it, right. and their disciples have it. And right. now we have that exact same gospel. And it ought to be the most important thing, and, and we have a tendency to minimize it. Sure. And sure. so that's something that we got to work through every day and, yeah. and remind ourselves of daily. But that was a huge lesson, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. good. So. so in the passage, Paul writes that he is astonished that these new believers are so quickly deserting the grace of God um, and, and God. So why is discipleship such an important aspect of protecting young believers and what are uh, the other benefits of discipleship relationships? Mm, and I think what Will said that it really resonated here is that we are responsible for how we respond to the truth that we hear. Right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, wow. Like, so if we're responsible for these truths, we're one of the truths that we hear in scripture all the time is that we're to make disciples. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. And we can see in the Galatian churches that without that discipleship, how easily it was for them to fall away. He was astonished or shocked or marveled at right. the fact that they were turning away so quickly. And I just think in, in, a, in a place and in a world where there's so much information bombarding mm. us every single day, mm. how important it is to have brothers to walk alongside of in the faith or sisters to walk alongside of in the faith that are, one, doing life with us, maybe a little bit further down the road in their faith, and so they can encourage and walk with us and, and share with us what they've learned and the wisdom that they've gained. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I'm thinking of the guys that I, I both disciple and disciple me, and I'm, I'm thinking about, man, without those relationships, mm. it would be easy to be led astray in some other gospel. Certainly. Like, and that's what's happening in the Galatian church here, and that's what can happen in our lives and does happen happen in our lives, mm -hmm. if we're being honest, but to have those those communities, those people that are in our lives that speak truth to us, that remind us of the gospel, that tell us you need to preach the gospel to your own soul, like that's so important. It's so valuable. And I think it's such a big part of the Christian walk that without it, we're, we're so easily distorted and so quickly do we leave Right. And that's what Paul's talking about right here. It's the importance of community. And just with that said, you know, we didn't plan on this, but if you're looking for community, absolutely, we would love to provide that for you yeah. here. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. there's so many ways to respond that at some point there was a QR code over my head, yeah. but there's so many ways uh, through the website to get involved in ministries. And we would love <laughs> to have you join us and be a part of that. Or maybe you're looking 
for a discipleship relationship, for someone to disciple you, or maybe you're feeling the call to discipleship, there's ways for you to do that, and we'd love to have you. Yeah, absolutely. And and with you know with technology these days, you can be halfway around the world and still happen. Absolutely. It still happens. So absolutely. so please reach out to us. We'd love to be able to provide that for you uh, and with you uh, today. Um, so here's another question. Um, when Paul talks about, did, did we skip a question? I think we did. Oh, Can we, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there we go. Sorry. There we go. Perfect. You perfect, get excited, perfect. man. I know. I got a I'm question sorry. for you now. I it's good. It. Uh, I jumped but, it. I jumped okay, it. I, this is a good one, though, so we don't want to miss it. Right, so, right. Uh, in the text, right, so Paul was talking, and, and he said that when we turn to a different gospel, we are deserting or betraying Jesus Christ wow, himself. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, we aren't just walking away from the proposition, but from a person. Uh how does the weighty biblical truth of that <laughs> change the way that we view a false gospel or, or false interpretation? Well, well, first off, it hurts yeah. a little bit yeah. to say that I have abandoned Christ yeah. versus some, you know, random thought or some random teaching. Mm. So to, to, to say that really puts it more important and puts it, put it really puts it in perspective for me Absolutely. that I'm abandoning Christ when I believe another gospel. That hurts. It does hurt. Like that makes me that makes me cringe. You know, it makes my stomach hurt. It makes me tear up because I don't want to abandon Christ. I don't want to abandon the very person who has saved me, right? Mm. Right? And so yeah, I, I think that that word uh, deserted is so important to understand. And I love that Pastor Will talks about being in the present. Like this is a continuing action that's happening. And it's something in the middle voice. It's something that we are participating in. That's we're responsible for. And so we have to be real careful there. And, and we have to take that as serious as it is that if we're doing this, the Galatian church was abandoning Christ. And that's why Paul is so insistent and so bold in his speaking here. Absolutely. You know, usually he does this little thing where he talks about the the church and how he loves them and da 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 da. And he doesn't do that here. He just jumps in and is like, "What's up, you guys? <laughs> like, come on, got a problem here? Yeah, we got it. We got a serious issue." So I love that 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 Pastor Will describes that um, that they are in the process of deserting. Mm-hmm the person of Jesus. And then he follows it up by referencing 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4, yeah. and 13 through 15, yeah. and says that when we believe these false gospels, we desert Christ, and we are a fool for doing yeah. so. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. So, right. you know, Paul doesn't pity the fool. No, neither, no, no, neither no. Neither should we. No, and no, so no, no. Let's, uh, let's follow Christ and, and stick to it and, and believe the true gospel that we have here in this good book. Yeah. Um, Man, that was good. Yeah, it's good stuff, yeah. Absolutely. So next question is, when Paul talks about a different gospel, um, that there's really no gospel at all, he's addressing the false gospels of that particular day. Uh, In verse 7, Paul says that that a tampered with gospel leads to a troubled heart. He also says in verse 3 that vertical grace always comes before internal peace. So why and how are these two verses connected? And and let's talk through that a little bit. Mm. And uh, I know that the, the grace piece is something that is so impactful on all of our lives. And I know you were sharing before, so I'm going to focus on the, the distortion sure. yeah, and yeah, the yeah. reverse or the change of yeah. the order yeah. and how that plays such a massive role in the way that we view Christ and we view the grace that he's given us right? and how the tendency of us at, to be religious and to think if I do enough or if I'm good enough, and then we look at all the world religions 
that we talked through. It, yeah. It's if you do do enough and are good enough, then you can achieve right. salvation. Then you can achieve grace. Where in actuality, the difference between that religious view and the redemptive view that we have as Christ followers is that because God was good and gracious and had a perfect plan for us that brings him all the glory, right. and we are just the recipient, we are able to receive that redemption, and out of that redemption, now in faith we walk and we do good works. In obedience, we are baptized. All of these things right. that we come to know as believers to be important you know, pillars of who we are is not because we're trying to achieve salvation or grace it's because we've been freely given it yeah absolutely yeah that distortion that word distortion or distorted and that's the change of order right so i i am good enough and therefore god will love me yeah and that's not the gospel no it's not the gospel god loved us now go and and do good things right you know and so that's that's we get it so mixed up we get it so distorted uh we get it so twisted and and we have to be real careful of that but god Thank you for for that truth, right? That it's about uh, the gospel done, mm. and not the religious do or don't. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Um, we absolutely love that, and so you know, and and, and that's where that peace comes from, right? Mm-hmm. So Pastor Will talks about this imagery of of a river, and that. Uh, peace is always downriver of grace. When we truly understand and truly tap into that grace that God has given us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that here comes the peace, right? It's, it's always after. And so many times in my life, I'll speak for myself, I'm always wanting that peace. Like I'm thinking, God, where's that peace at? Where's that peace in my life in whatever area? And it's because, and I don't have it, and it's because I've forgotten the gospel. I have to be reminded of the grace of God. And when I do that, the peace comes, you know? Yeah. And it's it's so good to think that, that way, to, to have that imagery and to remember that, that because of the grace of God, we have peace. Um, I love that. Yeah. Absolutely love that. <laughs> cool. You know, and um, I, I, we want to leave you um, today with um, just some positive, great information that, that Pastor Will gave us. Um and that is to remember that if we don't, if, if there is a revision of the gospel, then it's a reversal of the gospel. Then it means nothing, right? So the good news is, is that the gospel is done. It's the finished work. And, and all of our striving and all of our work and all of our chaos and all of everything else really doesn't mean anything. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that means something. Amen. And you can have security in that way, in the way you can have significance in that truth, and you can have satisfaction in the life of Jesus Christ. And it is available to you. All you have to do is believe. That's right. Man, we're so grateful that you joined us today, and we're so grateful that uh, God has shared this word with us uh, through his word and through Pastor Will. And uh, we want you to be a part of the community, whether you are a, a million miles away or where you, whether you're right here with us in Memphis. So to get involved or to get connected, please reach out to us. You can go to missionchurchmemphis.com slash ministries, and there are tons of ways to do that. We love you. We hope that if you're in our area uh, that you can come to one of our locations, he- either here in East Memphis yep. or in Carterville. Um, but thank you for joining us. Reach out to us. Uh, We love you and we pray that you are uh, reading your word and that you are um, 
just um, looking for community, and that's what we want to provide. So yeah, we hope to see you next week when we continue this story in, in Galatians, and uh, we love you, uh, and we thank you for being with us. See you next time. Bye, guys. See you.